Hello, my name is Sanya Caratella. I'm a core surgical trainee in the East Midlands and a member of BAST. Welcome to this podcast where I will be summarising the NICE guidelines on pelvic floor dysfunction, prevention and non-surgical management published in December 2021. This podcast is part of the BJUI BIRST podcast series. In summary, this guideline covers the prevention, assessment and non-surgical management of pelvic floor dysfunction in women who are aged 12 years old and over. It aims to raise awareness and help women to reduce their risk of pelvic floor dysfunction. And for women who actually have pelvic floor dysfunction, the guideline recommends interventions based on their specific symptoms. So what exactly is pelvic floor dysfunction? These NICE guidelines define it as a condition in which the pelvic floor muscles around the bladder, anal canal and vagina do not work properly. Some of these symptoms include urinary incontinence, emptying disorders of the bladder, faecal incontinence, emptying disorders of the bowel, pelvic organ prolapse, sexual dysfunction and chronic pelvic pain. The most common and definable symptoms are urinary incontinence, faecal incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse. Risk factors for pelvic floor dysfunction can be split into modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors. Modifiable risk factors include a BMI over 25, smoking, lack of exercise, constipation and diabetes. Non-modifiable risk factors include increasing age, a family history of urinary incontinence, overactive bladder or faecal incontinence, gynaecological cancer and any treatment for this, gynaecological surgery, fibromyalgia, chronic respiratory disease and cough, and those related to pregnancy, including being over 30 years when having a baby or having given birth before their current pregnancy, and those related to labour, including assisted vaginal birth, a vaginal birth where the baby is lying face up, an active second stage of labour taking more than one hour, an injury to the anal sphincter during birth. Preventing pelvic floor dysfunction relates to the modifiable risk factors. In order to prevent this, women should be advised to improve their physical activity and diet, um, advised to lose weight, stop smoking, manage their constipation and to manage their diabetes. All women of all ages should be encouraged to carry out pelvic floor muscle training. During and after pregnancy, consider a three-month programme of supervised pelvic floor muscle training from week 20 of pregnancy for pregnant women who have a first degree relative with pelvic floor dysfunction and during postnatal care for women who have experienced um, risk factors including an assisted vaginal birth, a vaginal birth where the baby is lying face up, an injury to the anal sphincter. Pelvic floor muscle training programs should be supervised by a physiotherapist or any other healthcare professional with the appropriate expertise in pelvic floor muscle training. Supervision should involve assessing the woman's ability to perform a pelvic floor contraction and relaxation and encouraging the woman to complete the course when communicating with and providing information to women with pelvic floor dysfunction. It's important to tailor information to each woman's level of understanding of anatomy and of the causes of pelvic floor dysfunction. It's also important to um, help women to understand their condition by giving clearer and concise information including possible causes of their symptoms, management options and possible outcomes. When assessing women in primary care, take a general history from the woman about current and past symptoms or disorders associated with pelvic floor dysfunction. Depending on the symptoms described, 
carry out focused history, clinical examination and investigations to exclude other causes, including pelvic masses, neurological disease, urinary tract infections, adverse effects of medications, diabetes, cancer, fistula, inflammatory bowel or bladder conditions, endometriosis, mobility and cognitive impairment. Depending on the symptoms and the woman's preferences and circumstances, other clinical examinations must be considered, including inspecting the woman's vulva and vagina for atrophy, asking them to bear down to check for visible vaginal or rectal prolapse, and rectal examination to check for impaction in those who might be at risk for this. After initial assessment in primary care, consider a community-based multidisciplinary team approach for the management of pelvic floor dysfunction. This multidisciplinary team should have members with competencies relating to assessment and management of pelvic floor dysfunction. Lifestyle changes or modifiable risk factors that were previously mentioned for prevention of pelvic floor dysfunction are equally as important in the management of pelvic floor dysfunction, including increased physical activity, improved diet, weight loss, stopping smoking, managing constipation and managing diabetes. Pelvic floor muscle training is extremely important in the non-surgical management of pelvic floor dysfunction for patients with pelvic organ prolapse or for patients with fecal incontinence and coexisting pelvic organ prolapse. A program of supervised pelvic floor muscle training for at least four months should be offered. For patients with stress urinary incontinence or mixed urinary incontinence, a supervised pelvic floor muscle training program for at least three months should be offered. These patients should be offered the choice between group and individual training. For women who are unable to perform an effective pelvic floor muscle contraction, their pelvic muscle training can be supplemented with biofeedback techniques, including electrical stimulation or vaginal cones. Intravaginal devices can be used for urinary incontinence only if other non-surgical options have been unsuccessful and capacity should be considered for women who have symptomatic pelvic organ prolapse. Discuss the psychological impact of their symptoms for women who have pelvic floor dysfunction and take account of this impact when developing a management plan. Furthermore, offer supported bladder retraining combined with other interventions to women with urinary frequency, urgency or mixed incontinence. When choosing a behavioural intervention, take into account that prompted toileting and habit training may be particularly suitable for women with cognitive impairment. Thank you for listening. If you would like any further information on pelvic floor dysfunction, please refer to the NICE guidelines. If you would like to contribute to the BJUI Burst podcast series, please visit bursturology.com forward slash opportunities for more information.